This is Gliza for Classical Adventures for One, where I read classical work dramatically and discuss things about that work that I find interesting and want to share with my listeners. If that's something that you're into, stick around and let's talk about fictional books of the past. If you've listened to my dramatic reading of the fourth chapter of Alice in Wonderland, The Rabbit Sins in A Little Bill, thank you for being interested enough to listen to my discussion that follows it. If not, thanks still for being here and listening to this anyway. The link to it though, if you're curious, is down in the description. Today's artworks are from the very talented Brooke of Celestial Fawn Tattoo. I love her art so much that at the time of this recording, I've had three tattoos done by her. She's awesome. And if you're interested in seeing more of her works, or if you live in San Diego and want to be added to her waiting list, which by the way, she is very much in demand. So don't waste time, just go ahead and visit the link that's in my description below. Speaking of art, I'm not very good at it at all. But for whatever reason, I seem to be surrounded by artists. My husband, my best friend, so many people in my life are such great artists and I've been super jealous when it comes to it. I've asked them before what their secret was and surprise surprise, it's practice and patience. Let's face it though, I probably don't have the patience that they do and that's why they're really good at what they're doing. Though I'm not very good at it, I love art, and I love showcasing art. And that's one of the things I love about Alice in Wonderland. The artwork in it is superb. When you close your eyes, you can't help but see exactly who Alice is and the world around Alice in Wonderland. And I can argue that the art within the book is almost as important as the story. This discussion today will surround Sir John Tenniel, the illustrator of Alice's adventures in Wonderland, as well as Through the Looking Glass and what Alice found there, its sequel. Despite the thousands of political cartoons and hundreds of illustrative works attributed to him, much of Sir John's fame and popularity definitely comes from his illustrations for the Wonderland world. In total, he made 92 drawings for Lewis Carroll, the noom de plume of Charles Ludwig Dodson. As I mentioned in an earlier episode, Charles initially illustrated Wonderland himself in his original manuscript, as well as the leather-bound book that Charles eventually gifted to Alice Little. Originally, when he decided to publish Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Charles also wanted to do the artwork himself, but eventually decided against it after being discouraged by others to the point where he eventually decided to hire Sir John. Who is Sir John? Well, Sir John was the principal political cartoonist for Punch magazine for 50 years. Punch, or the London Cherryberry, was a British weekly magazine of humor and satire established in 1841 by Henry Mayhew and wood engraver Ebenezer Landles. 
Historically, it was most influential in the 1840s and 1850s when it helped to coin the term cartoon in its modern sense as a humorous illustration. As for Sir John, he was knighted for his artistic achievements in 1893. Punch was actually how Charles became familiar with Sir John's work because he was a regular reader of that magazine. One of the reasons why Charles wanted him as his illustrator for the Alice books was because of Sir John's grotesque style of artwork where it made the people seeing the art feel like the real world have now ceased to be reliable. He had the tendency to draw dark compositions of exaggerated fantasy creatures as well as drawing animal heads on recognizable human bodies or vice versa. His grotesque style can also be found in mergers of beings and things, deformities, and somewhat absurd change in the human body. The most noticeably grotesque artwork that can be found in the Alice drawings is the Jabberwock, which is the art that's being showcased in this discussion by Brooke. However, just because it has more grotesque feels to it, there were still some splashes of realism in it because to make the most impact, it has to be our world which is transformed and not some fantasy realm. It's meant to remind the readers of the real world, and you can see it in Sir John's scenes derived from a medieval town, the portico of a Georgian town, or the checkered jacket on the white rabbit. It's also really nice that the positions of the illustrations really mesh together in regards to the text. One example that you can find this is when Alice says, Oh my poor little feet. It not only occurs at the foot of the page, but it is right next to her feet in the illustration. Speaking of meshing together, Charles and Sir John didn't really mesh. They just did not have the best working relationship. Charles was definitely pretty particular about how his books and his illustrations would look, and because of this, he was a very nitpicky client and provided Sir John with many details and instructions. Charles had Sir John alter his illustrations several times, even when the woodblocks were already engraved, which meant that the woodblock itself had to be redone. In fact, Sir John initially refused to also illustrate Charles's second book. He had this to say to another artist about Charles. Dodson is impossible. You will never put up with that conceited Don for more than a week. Eventually, though, as Charles never found anyone else who met his standards or was willing to take on the work, he did manage to convince Sir John to finally agree to work on the illustrations for the sequel entitled Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There. That happened only because Charles was persistent. It took him two and a half years to finally get Sir John to agree, and Sir John pretty much agreed to only just do it in his spare time. However, as much as Charles was nitpicky, Sir John actually had quite a lot of freedom to give his own interpretation to the illustrations, and for several of them, Charles happily accepted Sir John's ideas, and you can see the artist's typical style in the illustrations. Sir John also had some freedom in selecting the scenes to be illustrated, and when he complained about having to draw a walrus and a carpenter, Charles was willing to change the characters of the poem for him. Though, instead of changing the characters, Sir John finally just accepted a change in the scene from walking hand-in-hand hand to walking close at hand as Sir John's walrus did not have any hands 
but flippers instead. Another example of the influence that Sir John had on Charles' work is illustrated by the fact that Charles recalled the first edition of his book only because Sir John expressed dissatisfaction about the quality of the printing of the pictures. Charles even dropped an entire chapter from his book on Sir John's suggestion. It was called A Wasp in a Wig, which was actually lost for more than a hundred years, by the way. Let's talk about some of the picture origins of Sir John's illustration for the Wonderland work. You might have noticed in the previous artwork that I displayed during my episode 2 discussion about Alice, that Alice Little and the Alice of Wonderland looked very different. Alice Little actually looks nothing like Alice of Wonderland. Some people say it's due to the Disney movie back in 1951. But original illustrations of Alice in Wonderland did not look like Alice Little at all. Charles supposedly sent Sir John a photograph of Mary Hilton Badcock, one of his other child friends, as a model. But Sir John had already completed several engravings of Alice before that picture was taken. In regards to using a model, Charles said this about Sir John. Mr. Tenniel is the only artist who has drawn from me who has resolutely refused a model and declared he no more needed one than I should need a multiplication table to work a mathematical problem. As for the Mad Hatter, it is often suggested that it has come from at least three different people. Charles possibly suggested that the Mad Hatter would resemble a Theophilus Carter, who was a furniture dealer in Oxford. Theophilus was known to always wear a top hat and had a lot of eccentric ideas. He invented an alarm clock bed which would wake up the sleeper by tossing him out of the bed. Another suggestion is that the Mad Hatter was based on Thomas Randall, a local tailor who referred to himself as a hatter and Alice knew him and sometimes took his rover out for a walk. Finally, there are still others who believe that Sir John based his Mad Hatter illustration on a politician named Benjamin Dizzarelli. And though there are similarities to be seen in some of the illustrations with the actual politician, Sir John's actual caricatures of him do not match the Mad Hatter. As for the March Hare, he was drawn with a straw on his head, and it was because during Charles's time, this was a symbol of madness. And we both know that the March Hare is not the most stable character in the book. One of the few instances where Sir John's illustrations deviate from Charles' description is in the illustration of the Duchess. Whilst Charles described the Duchess as having a very sharp little chin, Sir John's illustration of her looks very different. It has been said that the portrait of a grotesque old woman may have served as Sir John's inspiration and the ugly duchess of that painting was supposed to be Margarita Maltash, a 14th century duchess of Tyrol and a princess of Carinthia. She had a reputation of being the ugliest woman in history. Whether she was ugly or not, we don't really know, as the painting happened 200 years after her death, and it may have been just the artist taking her nickname too literally. Maltash meant pocket mouth. Another interesting picture that I wanted to talk about was the Pool of Tears illustration. And you can notice that even though there is no mention of it in the text, there is an ape in the Pool of Tears. 
It's been suggested that the reason why there's an ape there was that Charles started to write Alice's Adventures Underground only three years after Darwin had published his book, The Origin of Species. And it was theorized that Charles introduced the ape as a comment on the controversy surrounding the evolution theory since these creatures emerged from the water and came to land. It can't have been Sir John's idea, as the ape was already present in the original manuscript drawn by Charles for the Alice's Adventures Underground. Another interesting drawing that I want to point out was the nose of the Knave of Hearts when he was on trial. A lot of people suggest that it meant that he was drunk, which was common with cartoonists during the Victorian era. They all thought that all criminals were heavy drinkers. There's plenty more illustrations that you can see from the link that I've included in the bottom that I didn't discuss due to time. And if you guys are interested in looking at it, why don't you check out aliceinwonderland.net. It's a really great resource for all things Alice related and actually contains the bulk of the things that I just shared with you. After 1872, when all the Alice projects were finished, Sir John pretty much abandoned literary illustrations. It's kind of funny to think about it though, since his drawings for both books have become some of the most famous literary illustrations to this date. And it's not like Charles didn't try to hire Sir John again, but Sir John pretty much turned him down after drawing for the sequel, Through the Looking Glass, saying, and I quote, The faculty of making drawings for book illustrations departed from me and have done nothing in that direction since. I want to thank Lenny from aliceinwonderland.net for allowing me to use his website as a source as well. They really did all of the heavy lifting here, and I'm just here to share with you guys the hard work that he has already done. If you're interested in checking out the website, why don't you go visit the description below so you can see and use a lot of his resources if you're interested in making an Alice theme party, wedding, anything that you can think of. Definitely thank you guys for joining me on this adventure, and if you're listening to this on YouTube, please remember to subscribe, like, and share if you found this episode interesting. I would love to hear from you, so please leave a comment below if you have anything that you want me to know or tips to improve on. If you're listening to it anywhere else, please subscribe, like, and share it to people you think might like it anyway. And you can also email me at classicalgliza at gmail.com. Again, I'm Gliza, and this has been Classical Adventures for One. See you on the next adventure. Thank you.